So if you have your worship bulletins there or your Bible, I would invite you to turn to John 15. We're going to finish off that chapter this morning. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you I was having lunch with a friend a couple of weeks ago. He's about to enter into that stage of life as a family uh, to, to raise teenagers. And he knows that uh, Josie and I have, we've gone through that stage. He asked us because of that, he said, you know, would, would you guys consider thinking about what you've done wrong and what you've done right raising teenagers? Talk to your wife about all that and then come and talk to me and my wife and tell us what you guys think you did right or, or wrong. I, I will tell you, when I told Josie about this, she, she did say, do we really have to think about all the things we've done wrong? But anyway, at the same, same time that, that he was asking me or asking me to think about that question, what did we do right and wrong raising our teenage children, I was also doing some pre-work for this sermon, this sermon that I'm going to... Uh, preach this morning. One of the things that very quickly came to mind as I was entertaining those, those two ideas is this. I never really or I can't remember consciously, verbally, talking out loud with my children as a family about what our lives should or would look like if we were all the time totally committed to Christ. And I hope it was there. I, I hope we had some conversations. But I do wish we would have struggled with it more, thought about it, discussed it. What does a life that is centered around the person of Jesus Christ, centered around his life and his death and his resurrection, what does that look like? as an individual, as a family, even as a church, because we do have to recognize that it will look different for each and every one of us. That's the beauty of Christian community. But I think we all should be thinking about what would our lives look like? What should our lives look like if they were all wrapped up, identified in and of Christ Jesus? Because our passage speaks to that. While there are differences and there will, there will be differences, how you interact with the world as a human being created in the image of God in, in diverse ways. God is that big. He's done that. He's created us all differently. He's created our families differently. He, even this church will be different from other gospel-believing, Bible-centered churches. So we're all going to be different. But one thing this passage that we're about to read says will be the same is that if we're living for Christ, we will all be persecuted. We will even be hated by the world. That's what this passage says. So realize that Jesus has gathered together his disciples, the one he's, he's loved. He's going he's to give them the message that the church is, is based upon for the rest of history, the apostolic message. Right before he's going to the cross, he takes time out and he says, my brothers in Christ, 
I need you to know what's about to happen because I love you. I need you to know what's about to happen because I want you to be encouraged when I leave. So let's read this together, if you would. Follow along with me. God's word, Jesus speaking to his disciples, beginning in John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, They would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we have been reminded of your your goodness to us, your love to us, your mercy to us, particularly seen in Jesus Christ. I pray that, that right now you would help us understand what these words of Christ to his disciples meant, how they apply to us. Help us, just at a very basic level, help us to Think about clearly what it means to follow you in this world today. We ask your blessings. In the name of Christ, amen. Does the world hate Jesus? Does the world hate you and I because we love Jesus? And what should that look like? In this world that we live in today, here, Athens, Georgia. Why does the world hate Jesus? Why does the world hate those who belong to him? And what might that look like for us? Read this somewhere in my studies. It was a few weeks ago and I lost the notes, but I I remembered the thought. I don't know who it's from. It's not me, but I think there's a a lot of good things here. Persecution is what happens when genuine Christianity meets a world in love with itself rather than Jesus. And I think there's some nuances that we need to tease out there, but, but as a general rule, this is, this is a, an interesting thought. Persecution is what happens when genuine, real Christianity comes in contact with a world who's in love with itself rather than Jesus Christ. So what do you think? Do you think the world 
hated Jesus. We have to remember, first of all, what John means by the use of the word world. What does he mean? The world. The world, according to John, is the entire created moral order set up actively opposing the work of God in Jesus Christ. That's what he means by the world. He sometimes refers to it as darkness. The world that is bent in on itself in terms of its values, ideas, and standards. You see, the world will love itself, and people of the world will affirm the world's agenda. So did the world hate Jesus? I mean, I guess, I think, I think we need to be honest here. I guess you could make the case that not all the time. And this is important because we're going to be talking about how mm, we're supposed to be persecuted as well if we're, if we're following Jesus. Does that mean we ought to be persecuted all the time? Because you can make the case that they didn't persecute Jesus all the time. There were some times when they liked Jesus. Don't you remember reading the Gospels? Even John? They really liked it when he turned water into wine, didn't they? That blind man who Jesus miraculously heals and can see, he was pretty excited about that, and he should have been, right? What about the masses that followed Jesus for the bread when Jesus fed the masses? They didn't hate Jesus all the time. We do know this, though. They didn't like it as much when he started questioning them about why those things were so important. We know this. It started getting rough when Jesus started to dig down below the surface of the wine and the bread and the miracles. Do we not? Right? He didn't say these things literally, but I think of it like this. Jesus was saying at certain times, you know, wine can make you happy but not ultimately happy, right? You can have eyes to see, but still be blind. And by the way, you can be real full after lunch or dinner and still be an empty person. When Jesus said the wine, the bread, and all the miracles, when he told the masses that these things that I do are all about me, not simply you, that's when they started hating Jesus. Because persecution is what happens when Jesus Christ meets a world in love with themselves rather than him. Because Jesus said certain things like this, if you want to have real joy, if you want to really see the world as it is, if you want to be a full person, then you're going to have to love me more than you love yourself. In fact, what Jesus says is, you're going to have to love me more than the gifts that I give you, which is nothing less than the gospel. Jesus calling people to trust himself for salvation rather than themselves. Because in John 14, Jesus does say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, and nobody gets to God except through me. That's what Jesus said. And he ends up dying on a cross, all in accord with God's will, to save his people from their sins. Did the world hate Jesus? 
If the world hates you, know that, says Jesus, it has hated me before it hated you. In verse 21, this hate, if you look at verse 21, Jesus says the hate is because of my name. In other words, because of all that he stands for. He is Jesus Christ, the ultimate revelation of God, who he is. And the details, says Jesus in verse 22 and 24, is explained. He says, if I had not come and if I had not spoken to the world, they would not have been guilty of sin. I'll explain that in a minute. But now he says, they have no excuse because I have come. Whoever hates me hates my father. If I had not done the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now that they have seen and hated both me and my father. Now, Jesus is not saying that sin is an issue, only becomes an issue when he comes to earth. It's very clear in the Bible, it's very clear according to Jesus' words that sin has been around for a long time since Adam and Eve. What Jesus is saying here is that sin and righteousness and love and hate, it's most apparent with the life and death of Jesus. He's saying how people respond to me, and he is the substance of the gospel, how people respond to Christ and what they do with Christ, listen to this, That is the dividing line between love and hate. Jesus is saying in this passage, the dividing line between loving God and hating God, it's Jesus Christ. And I know, listen, we shy away from that in our world today, don't we? We want to say, well, the world doesn't really hate Jesus all the time. And that's true. Or there are parts to Jesus that the world likes. And that's true. But you know what Jesus is saying here? You can't split me up. You can't split me up with the good things that I do and who I am. You have to have either all of me or none of me. And it's the all of Jesus that brings the hate and the persecution. It's the all of Jesus. Let let me, you guys know, you know me by now. I'm not a great illustrator. But I got an illustration I want you to think about in, in terms of love and hate here, okay? And I want you to, I want you, Hal said, you know, we're supposed to participate. That doesn't mean you need to talk real loud or, or scare me or anything like that. But I need, you to, I need you to jump in here. What would it feel like if you loved someone with all of you, all of you? every fiber of your being, and you spent the majority of your life working toward giving that, that one you love most the perfect gift, giving them this perfect gift that not only you spent all of your life working towards, but, but it cost you everything that you had. And not only did it cost you everything that you had, that, that you knew your loved ones so well that they really needed this gift. They may not even know how much they needed this gift. But, but this is what you're doing. You're all into this. And finally, at just the right time, at just the right place, you bring that gift to the one that you love so much, and and that person looks at it, and and they're excited, and they're looking at that gift, and they're starting to, to excitedly unwrap that present, 
And you're, you're excited on the inside because, because you're boiling over in anticipation because this is you that you're giving them. And the one you love finishes unwrapping that present and takes that present out of the box and maybe they kind of smile a little bit. They look at it. They say thanks. And then they walk away. Maybe the next day you find that gift in the trash. Or, or maybe because that, that person that you love some, so much is a little bit more polite, a little bit nicer. They didn't put it in the trash, but they put it in the closet. And they might see it every once in a while when they get out a new coat or a new dress or a new suit. But they really don't think about it anymore. How would that make you feel? I mean, our first thought may not be hate. Particularly on the part of the one that's received the gift, right? That was hateful. But how much of yourself did you put in that gift? And the response was, that's nice. Thanks. See you tomorrow. The point here with that illustration is hate can be a really subtle thing. You realize when Jesus was going to the cross, all the people weren't actively speaking up and saying about Christ, crucify him. There were plenty of people that didn't open their mouths at all. And they should have said something like, no. Did the world hate Jesus? Do we just like part of Jesus? And that's why we really don't hate him. Jesus says, if the world hated me, secondly, it will also hate you if you're a Christian. Up to this point, the hatred and the persecution in John 15, it's primarily been on Jesus. But let me ask you this. What do you think will happen when Jesus leaves and he goes back to the Father, he sends the Spirit to empower his people to live just like Jesus lived? What do you think is going to happen? The servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And I really did try to find a maybe in the text. It's not there. What happens when the creator of the world and all that's in it reaches down in his grace, not due to anything in us, and he takes us up out of the world, not physically, but in the way that we think, in the way that we speak, in the way that we act, and he places us in a whole new sphere of reality, a whole new community to live in, because if you're a Christian, that's what's happened to you and I. We've been taken up out of the world. That world that that is the whole moral created order set up against God. We are no longer against God. We are for him. What happens? I think we start thinking like this. God is the one who says when life begins. Not me. Because he does. 
God is the one who says when life should end, not me. God is the one who says things like marriage is between a man and a woman because it's a picture of Christ's love for the church. And if you don't think you live in a world that think that's hateful and won't hate you for that, Let me make sure you understand what I'm saying here, what really the text is saying, okay? Because this is really important. We're not supposed to be hated or feel persecuted because we are irritating people. You do understand that. We're not supposed to be hated for our politics. We're, we're not supposed to be hated for our sports team. The world, says Jesus, will hate you because when they meet you and you're walking as I walked, they will be meeting me. Persecution is what happens when real Christians meet a, meet a world in love with themselves rather than Jesus. Because what they will see when they meet you is a person who loves Jesus Christ even more than he loves himself. More than he loves his politics. More than he loves his sports team. More than anything else. And I, and I do, and I meant to tell you this at the beginning. All right? We're going to talk about why the world hates Jesus, why the world hates Christians if they're following Jesus. But I need you to understand, this should be encouraging. And I may not have presented it all that encouraging, but I'm going to fix it right now. Let me tell you why this should be encouraging. Because you've got to realize the context of Jesus' conversation with his disciples, he's about to leave, they're about to be left alone, and he wants them to know that they can hang on. Let me tell you why this should be helpful to you for two reasons. Persecution means, for the right reasons, being hated for the right reasons, means that you've been taken out of the world means we no longer belong to this world that's set up against God. The suffering that we may experience is no longer about us. It's about Jesus Christ. So when you, let me tell you why this is encouraging. When you hurt and you're living like Christ and you hurt because of Christ, it doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. Do you hear that? There's nothing wrong with you. When you suffer, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It means he loves you as much as he loved his own beloved son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and it means we've been saved. And the disciples need to know that. You need to know that. If you are persecuted for my sake, says Jesus, know that I love you, and this is what they did to me. You know, on a side note, before I get to the second reason why you ought to be encouraged at this, Maybe you don't believe any of this stuff. You do realize on Sunday mornings the elders get together and one of our goals when we get together is to pray for the service. And every time we pray for the service, we pray for everybody that comes in these doors, whether you be a believer or an unbeliever, and we really want unbelievers here. So if you're here, welcome, and we hope you like it. But at the same time, you might be offended at this, and hopefully you're offended for the right reason. Maybe you don't like what we're saying Maybe you don't believe any of this Christianity because you have seen Christians be hateful. And I want you to know, I will grant you that. There are some pretty lousy Christians out there. 
And I'm not even saying whether or not they're Christians. I would make the case that it's not genuine Christianity that, that you met. doesn't mean they're not Christians. They just have messed up. That's fair. But my point, we can talk about that later if you want to talk about that. Later, not today. My point is this. In some measure, if you don't believe any of this, right? In some measure, because we live in a broken and fallen world, in some sense, all people are going to, to experience hate for something. Do you realize that? Because we live in this world and it's not the way it's supposed to be. The world's idea of love can be very hateful. Can, I think it's very obvious. And when you pick a side, if you're one of those people that don't believe Jesus or even believe Jesus but don't really know what you're, what you're talking about, when you pick a side, the other side is going to send hate your way. It's a fact of the matter. The question that I have for you that, that, that may not believe this, what if you weren't on either side? What if you weren't of this world? What if you were in Christ? Because the question is, will those of the world hate you because of you and the sides you're on or because of something greater than you with meaning and purpose that will last forever? You see, because if you've been taken out of the world, you have a new identity. And if you have a new identity, we walk around and it's not about us at all if you're a Christian. My identity is not in my sexuality. My identity is not in my politics. My identity is not in, if you're a Christian, you can say this. It's not in the fact whether I'm married or not. It's not whether I'm smart or not smart, whether I'm cool or not cool. My identity, your identity, if you've been taken out of this world and placed into, into Christ's new world, new creation, then your identity is all wrapped up in him. And the God of the universe says the whole world's going to be, going to experience hate. But if you're a Christian, that hate's not about you. It's about me. And that persecution that you will experience, it has meaning and purpose beyond yourself. Because that's really the only two choices we have. This world is not a loving place. If you're a Christian, you've been taken out of the world, and God is with you. That's the first encouragement. Second encouragement, much more important, is verse 26 and 27. When the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, he will bear witness about Christ. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This means a lot of things, but, but for our purposes here this morning, it's two things. The thing of encouragement here is God, through his Spirit, is doing exactly what he intended to do, whether or not you come along. God is in control. The Spirit of God is bearing testimony, testimony to Jesus Christ, and His will will not be thwarted. But God wants us to be a part, and we are called to bear witness through the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, so that other people would know Jesus Christ is King. Why is this encouraging? God is going to bear witness to the world through his spirit and through you and I, the church of Jesus Christ. Does that mean that you have to do it perfectly? Does that mean that God expects you to do it perfectly? Let me help you out. 
You won't do it perfectly, and you don't even have to do it perfectly. It doesn't mean that we're not supposed to participate. It means that we can trust God with our inadequate testimonies of Jesus Christ and keep moving ahead. The world hates Jesus. If we're following Jesus, if we're living out Jesus' words, if we're speaking the words of Jesus, the world will hate us. Here's the last point. How do we make sense of this in this world that we live in, in the, in the comforts and the freedom of America? How do we make sense of this? Because the disciples who lived in Jesus' day, they got it pretty quickly. Many of them died like that. And if you lived in China or you lived in the Middle East or you lived up in North Africa, other parts of the world, they get it, right? But do we? So I I need to clarify a couple of things. The Bible teaches, first of all, that not all Christians will experience the same degree of persecution. If you read John 21, Peter's going to experience a different amount of persecution than John. And if you read Acts 12, not all the disciples got arrested. Some of them were at home praying. And they didn't feel bad about that. So the question is not, why are we not experiencing the same degree of of persecution as other people? It does mean that we're supposed to be united to them, we're supposed to pray for them, we're supposed to work for them, we're supposed to help for them, and their pain should be our pain, but it's not the same and that's okay. So I'm not saying every day you ought to be persecuted like China, like the Middle East. Secondly, I'm also not saying that you're not supposed to, you aren't supposed to go out and seek persecution. Do I have to, do I have to spend any time on that at all? And lastly, we shouldn't feel guilty because we're not experiencing the persecution here that's happening in China. We're not to feel guilty about that. There are plenty of things we ought to feel guilty about. That's not one of them. So take those things off the table here. I do think this passage makes us consider this. Listen. If persecution happens when real Christianity comes in contact with a world in love with itself rather than Jesus Christ... What kind of Christianity are you and I bringing to the world? That's the question this text is asking. Because let's be real clear. He's talking to the disciples and they're pretty committed. They don't know everything, but they're pretty committed. If persecution happens when real Christianity comes in contact with the world in love with itself instead of Jesus... What kind of Christianity are you and I bringing to the world? Could it be this? Could it be that maybe we have that gift that God, the one who loves us more than anybody else, maybe we have that gift that cost him his son. Maybe we didn't throw it in the trash. Maybe we put it back in the closet. Or maybe we just haven't considered what that gift means. Because every one of us have the potential to go off to work tomorrow or whatever it is that you may do or even this afternoon, carrying nothing but ourselves into the world, our desires, our concerns, our loves, and we're going to meet up with all sorts of people and they might just say, 
hey, that Todd, he's a nice guy. But they've never met Christ. In other words, when we enter into other people's lives, are we bringing Jesus Christ with us or have we left him back at the house or left him back at the church? This passage is calling us as Christians living in Athens or the Athens area today and asking us to consider our way of life, to look at our values, and even ask yourselves, what are your co-workers, what are your neighbors, what are your families, what would they say is most important to you? What would they say you love the most? Read the screw tape letters. The devil loves it most, not when you hate God, Not even when you love God. The devil loves it most when you don't think of him at all or maybe just once or twice a week. Because indifference and apathy, it's much closer to hate than we're comfortable with. So let me me close it out like this. I know we've got committed people out there that are really trying to live this out. I know that. I, some of you do it better than I do. Most of you. When I was working in the world as opposed to coming to church, it was the hardest thing in the world. How do I bring Jesus to the table? And many of you have taken it seriously. What I want you to think about this evening or this morning First of all, I'm not saying that you're going to be hated and persecuted all the time. That's not what I'm saying. There are times when you're going to touch upon God's truth and and common grace in a way that, that should really be attractive. Do you understand that? You shouldn't be. If you're offending people all the time in America, you got something wrong. But I do want you to see this. God loves his people so much that, I mean, think about how much he loves his disciples here. Jesus is about to go off and hang on a cross in in hours. And he stops and he has time to have this, I don't know, four or five chapter conversation with his disciples. It's not even a conversation. He's just teaching them. You know, if that were me, I'd say, hey, fellas, I got something. I'm about to die. I don't have time for you. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus sits down and he says, because I'm going to die, I need to share some things with you. And he stops and he talks with his disciples, those who are most committed to him. And he tells them these things that we've discussed. Why does he tell them this? So that they would continue to remember in the midst of hard times, in the midst of persecution, they would continue to remember that that they were loved And because of that love, so that tomorrow they would be more committed to to Jesus than today. So this passage, to you committed people, it's saying, keep going. Don't quit. Now look, there are other type of believers out there. If 10 years ago, this would have been me out there. I would have said, I am one lousy, uncommitted Christian. And I know you're sitting out there. I know you. Do you look too much like the world? And you're going to say, yeah, I feel about that big. Let me tell you, you you want to know what's good about that? 
This is what's good about this. This is good about, about being in a Bible-believing church like Redeemer. We believe this word is living and active, and these words that were alive when they were spoken to the disciples the first time, they're still alive today. And what's important about that is, in the midst of your failure, Jesus is still talking to you. I mean... In the midst of all our failures, God doesn't stop pursuing you, and he's pursuing you now, and he's saying, yeah, you look too much like the world, but you know what? I'm not giving up on you, and all you have to do is think about what this passage means, and what does my life look like tomorrow? Look, if you're a Christian, and you're a lousy Christian, but you really do believe, and you're saying, I want to be like this, you're going to be invited to this table. Because you need this table. And, and Jesus is inviting you to this table. He says, hey, you've heard from me in this word. Now I want you to come eat with me. And I'm going to feed you so that tomorrow you get to go out and just try to do a little bit better than you did today. Isn't that great? Lastly, maybe you're not a believer. And, th- and that means you shouldn't come to the table. Okay, because you're like, hey, this is interesting, or I don't like this stuff at all. That means you're not going to want to eat with Jesus because he's not yours. You don't eat with Jesus unless you've been a friend to Jesus or you've been befriended by Jesus. And befriending Jesus means I want to be like that. But look, that's not necessarily bad either if that's where God's got you. I mean, in a sense, it's bad, but, but it's okay. Because these words are for you too. And I want to tell you that this world and its ways lead only to pain with no purpose. And God's ways may not always be the ways that we like. And they may be narrow ways. But right now it's wide open. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Experience my love in a world full of hate. And I will take you out of that world. The world hates Jesus, and there are going to be times when the world hates us, and we can be encouraged because we're living in light of the fact that we've been taken out of the world. We're living in the power of the Holy Spirit, and lastly, we have been called to take Jesus into the world. What that looks like to you is going to look different from me, but there is no doubt when you take all of Jesus into the world, you're going to be hated. You're going to be hated by the world, but you're going to be loved forever by God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you for these words where we are reminded that this life will not be all that it was intended to be until you return. And yet until you return, you give us a purpose. You give us your love. You give us your mercy. And I pray that every one of us today would walk away and would consider more of what it looks like to live for Jesus wholeheartedly, to be all in, and to testify to the truth of your love. We give you thanks this morning. And be with us now as we come to the table to meet Jesus Christ in your name. Amen.